This is CPX number 91, The Commandments in General. This is the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, CPX, page 111 to 112, question and answer number 1 through 8. God give you his peace, in nomine Patris, Sifiti, et Spiritus Santi. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good, and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us and save us, you who are all good. Amen. In nomine Patris, Sifiti, et Spiritus Santi. Amen. Today we are looking at the commandments of God in general, and just a real quick thanks to my donors. And please, everyone, invite a friend to this series and rate with five stars on Apple Podcasts if you're enjoying this. Number one, what is treated of in the third part of Christian doctrine? Answer, the commandments of God and of the church are treated of in the third part of Christian doctrine. Number two, how many commandments of God's law are there? Answer, there are ten commandments of God's law. One, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Two, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Three, remember thou, keep holy the Sabbath day. Number four, honor thy father and thy mother. Number five, thou shalt not kill. Number six, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number seven, thou shalt not steal. Number eight, thou shalt not bear false witness. Number nine, thou shalt not covet another's wife. And number ten, thou shalt not covet another's goods. Number three, why are the commandments of God so named? Answer, the commandments of God are so named because God himself has stamped them on the soul of every man, promulgated them, engraved on two tablets of stone on Mount Sinai in the old law, and Jesus Christ has confirmed them in the new law. Number four, which are the commandments of the first table? Answer, the commandments of the first table are the first three, which directly regard God and our duties towards him. Number five, which are the commandments of the second table? Answer, the commandments of the second table are the last seven, which regard our neighbor and our duties towards him. Number six, are we bound to observe the commandments? Answer, yes, we are bound to observe the commandments because we are all bound to live according to the will of God who created us and because a serious transgression against even one of them is enough to merit hell. Number seven, are we able to observe the commandments? Answer, yes, without doubt we are able to observe God's commandments because God never commands anything that is impossible and because he gives grace to observe them to those who ask it as they should. And number eight, what, in a general way, should we consider in each of the commandments? Answer, in each of the commandments, we should consider its positive part and its negative part, that is, what it commands and what it forbids. Thus are the words of the Holy Pope. So let's delve a little bit deeper in just three of those today. Three and four and six. Okay, number three again. Why are the commandments of God so named? The commandments of God are so named because God himself has stamped them on the soul of every man, promulgated them, engraved on two tablets of stone on Mount Sinai in the old law, and Jesus Christ has confirmed them in the new law. So a little of my own commentary here. You know, it's important to note that even though someone like Socrates, Socrates who lived before Jesus was born of Mary, could not have known that the Trinity was three divine persons and one God, Socrates still could have known and did know the basics of what was written on the human heart even though he didn't know, say, the divine revelation that came from the Hebrew scriptures and later the Christian scriptures. How do we know this about Socrates? Well, 
St. Paul writes beautifully about how God's law is written on every human heart even before they have a chance to become a Jew or a Christian. St. Paul writes this, quote, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. God, therefore, gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the Creator rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. End quote. That was Romans chapter 1. And you know, he wasn't talking about, say, a high pagan like Socrates. He was really excoriating the low pagans who, even though the Ten Commandments were written on their heart, they chose unnatural sins. Yes, Romans 1 there shows that certain unnatural sins, well, you just have no excuse before God for committing. Again, even if you weren't catechized as a child or even an adult. In fact, what St. Paul is saying there in Romans chapter 1 is, Nobody can claim ignorance of the Ten Commandments. Not Lutherans, not Hindus, not even atheists. Why? Because they're written on the human heart. Now here's the thing, and please listen closely. You do need the New Testament and the grace of the sacraments to live the higher law of the Beatitudes. Because in some sense, the Beatitudes are above nature. That is, it takes supernatural grace to live them, to forgive your neighbor and give that much away. But at the level of nature, we have natural law. And the Ten Commandments are required of everyone, even non-Christians. Because as the Pope said today, the commandments of God are so named because God himself has stamped them on the soul of every man. That quote from the Pope gets rid of all these modernist arguments that nobody can commit a mortal sin because either they have ignorance or reduced culpability. Nope. Even a pygmy in Papua New Guinea who's never met a Christian missionary has the Ten Commandments stamped on his heart. Now, of course, once he's baptized by that missionary, hopefully a Catholic priest, he'll have the grace to live those Ten Commandments so much better. But deep inside, even before that, he knows, even before his baptism, just by looking at the beauty and power of nature around him, that God is true and that he still has to follow the law of God, which is these Ten Commandments. Because as St. Paul said again, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Again, he's talking about even pagans who go against the Ten Commandments. And also remember in Matthew 19, this account, And behold, a man came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. Okay, so you know when Protestants or loosey-goosey Catholics say everyone is saved who likes Jesus or just believes in God, just show them that right there in Matthew 19, Jesus himself says you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven without keeping the Ten Commandments. Okay, let's look at number four. Which are the commandments of the first table or tablet? 
Answer, the commandments of the first table are the first three, which directly regard God and our duties towards him. Okay, now think for a minute of the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, even if you're thinking of that Charlton Heston movie. Did you know it wasn't broken up five and five commandments for each tablet? Nope. The first tablet had the first three commandments about loving God, and then the next tablet, the next tablet of those Ten Commandments, had the next seven about loving your neighbor. In other words, they go in order of importance. In fact, Jesus, in some sense, put that first tablet containing the first three commandments as the first great commandment, and then the next seven, well, Jesus put those conglomerated as kind of the second great commandment. Listen to this. This is just a few chapters later after that rich young man. Now we are in Matthew 22. Matthew 22 here. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So notice there, both by the structure of the two tablets of the Ten Commandments and what Jesus says, we now see that loving God is so much more important than loving your neighbor. That sounds weird, I know, to a lot of you. That's because we're all trained by modernism. The modernist heretic today essentially teaches, in so many words, that loving your neighbor will have this kind of trickle-up economics to loving God. And of course, their idea of pastoral always breaks the first three commandments, or frequently does. But Jesus and all the saints show us that loving God will automatically flow into loving your neighbor. So if you get the first great commandment right, that is loving God, then the second will come pretty easily. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And just one more today, number six, are we bound to observe the commandments? Answer, yes, we are bound to observe the commandments because we are all bound to live according to the will of God who created us and because a serious transgression against even one of them is enough to merit hell. Okay, a little commentary on that. You know, as it's been said many times, the Ten Commandments are not multiple choice. All of these Ten Commandments can be violated not only by venial sin, but also by mortal sin. So let's just look at one of these. The Fifth Commandment, that's murder. Well, how can there be a venial sin for that? Well, the Church has put anger under that, at least disproportionate anger. Uh, disproportionate anger falls under the Fifth Commandment. So if you got angry but it didn't kill anyone or do any permanent damage to their person or psyche or reputation or property or their family. And if that anger was unwarranted or at least disproportionate, then yeah, that was probably a venial sin, but obviously not a mortal sin. But then of course, obviously murdering someone is a mortal sin. So there you see you can have a venial sin of the fifth commandment, anger, and a mortal sin of, this, of the fifth commandment, which is murdering someone. And remember, if you die with a mortal sin on your soul, you go to hell. Notice, however, that the prohibition is against murder, not against killing. And not that you want your days to be filled with either of those, but, for example, self-defense or a soldier at war is still, yes, killing, but not necessarily murder, and that is the prohibition of this commandment. Also, I've noticed that some people get mixed up as to which sins fall under each commandment. And for the last 30 seconds here, I don't think kids will understand it, but adults need to hear it. Nothing racy, but just complex for these last 30 seconds. 
You know, many Catholics think that the church is against IVF in vitro fertilization because it's a violation of the sixth commandment, which it certainly is. But the bigger issue is that for IVF to work, you need embryo reduction of up to 20 embryos and then cyrogenic freezing of another 20 of your embryos just to get two children born. Notice that means that in IVF you have to kill dozens of your own children to get one or two born. How ghoulish and bloody is that? So we Catholics, we're against IVF not only because it replaces the marital act. Everyone points to this like there's some moral theologian expert. That's nice. But the bigger issue with IVF, IVF is you have to kill 20 to 40 of your own children in any IVF attempt to get one or two kids born. So we have to get these commandments in order. First, loving the Lord our God with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind by following the Bible and the magisterium. And then secondly, loving our neighbor as ourself. Please pray for me that I can practice what I preach at benedictio deum nepotentis. Patris et et Spiritus Sancti, descende super vos, et maniat semper. Amen.